This week we find out more on the current challenges the horticultural sector are facing. The increased costs, input costs we're experiencing, things like packaging that's going up between anywhere between 8 and 10%. Now that clubs can meet face to face, what have the Lincolnshire Young Farmers got planned for the months ahead? We've had a few tractor runs and plough matches and things, so our clubs have been already having events, which has been fantastic. Jerome Fielder from Open Fields has the grain report, Sean Sparling is back with an agronomy update and I'll bring you the five-day forecast for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. Morning, it's Ellie Codling with you again today. I hope you had a good week. Certainly feels like winter is on the way now with a change in temperature. We'll take a look at the five-day forecast at the end of the show, but first, here's this week's farming headlines. A bird flu prevention zone was declared across the whole of Britain earlier this week following a number of detections of bird flu in wild birds. This means there is a legal requirement for all bird keepers to follow strict biosecurity measures as a way to mitigate the risk of the disease spreading. In a joint statement, the Chief Veterinary Officers for Wales, England and Scotland said all bird keepers must take action now to prevent the disease spreading to poultry and other domestic birds. Whether you keep just a few birds or thousands, you are now legally required to introduce higher biosecurity standards on your farm or small holding. It is in your interest to do so in order to protect your birds from this highly infectious disease. They continue to say the UK health agencies have confirmed that the risk to public health is very low and UK food standard agencies advise that bird flu poses a very low food safety risk for UK consumers. The UK's first carbon-neutral potato will be sold for the first time this week. The Root Zero potatoes farmed in Pembrokeshire by Puffin Produce are grown using sustainable practices to remove carbon dioxide, create healthy soil and increase local biodiversity. The company have measured the carbon footprint of the potato considering the power used to grow, store and transport them. They are also packed in 100% plastic-free bags. And finally, the AHDB's monitor farm at Wainfleet will be holding a Managing Soils for Better Productivity event on Tuesday morning, starting at Primrose Farm at Thorpe St Peter, assessing the soils using a newly developed method, and take a look at the findings of the Soil Health Review already completed on this monitor farm. To find out more and to book, visit AHDB's website. Now the veg salad and flower growers are having a very hard time of it of late due to many challenges facing the horticultural sector. We'll be chatting to Joe Musson from the NFU shortly, but firstly I'm joined by Carolyn Cox of Greengrow Consultancy, who specialises in agronomy for the horticultural sector and the farm environment. So what are the current challenges facing the sector? So really the major challenges are centred around labour shortages, so lack of people to fill casual labour roles, um, transport availability, so whether they can get products to depot or not, the increased costs, input costs we're experiencing, things like packaging that's going up between anywhere between 8 and 10%, seed increases and um, general increases such as plastic packaging, fertiliser, and things like that. And also we're seeing a significant increase in weight in wages as well across the business, mainly due to training new staff because we've got a lack of returnees, the need to impose certain COVID secure practices such as screening, rotating staff and break times, which leads to reduced productivity. And how will this affect the farmers in the in the short and the long term? 
So I think they've seen significant increases in production costs, and these increases aren't necessarily being met by the sale price yet. And in a lot of cases, farmers have had to be very reactive. So they've not been able to process what those proposed increased costs would be um, and how that will affect the bottom line towards the end of the year. So they say they've been very reactive and not being able to negotiate an increase in sale price to match their increase in production costs. I guess when fuel prices go up like they do as quickly as they do, that's very hard to manage in a cost perspective. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, it is very reactive and um, yeah, cost increases as regards packaging and transport have come at very short notice. What's the advice and support available to growers at the moment? I think when growers are looking towards next season, I think there will have to be a renegotiation on price with customers. So taking into account the increased cost of labour, packaging, inputs, that kind of thing. So, you know, there will be an increase in price, I think, and there'll have to be some heavy negotiations for the coming season. As far as support out there, there is some new DEFRA and Innovate UK funding that's available. So that's really farmer-centred funding, which is small grants available to be applied for. And that's really for farmers that have got new and innovative ideas that could potentially look at reducing anything from labour cost to cost of production, improve environmental impacts of their farming mechanisms. I say it's small, it's smaller grants that are available and the funding bodies would look to link academics and facilitators. Thanks, Carolyn Cox of Greengrow Consultancy. And the free webinar is on tomorrow night and you can find out more at innovativefarmers.org. I'm joined now by Joe Musson, NFU County Advisor for Holland Links. Carolyn mentioned a number of challenges for the horticultural sector, one of them being a labour shortage. Could you shed some more light on the situation? Yes. Um, so the end of freedom of movement coupled with the COVID-19 pandemic has led to severe labour shortages across the whole food supply chain. Uh, we had many European workers that went home for Christmas and then they were, were unable to return. Data from an NFU survey in July showed that there was a 34.5% recruitment shortfall in the horticultural sector. Many Lincolnshire field vegetable growers um, have been between 40 and 60% staffed all year. And similarly with the ornamental sector as well, so our flower growers. We've had uh, company directors and partners that have been picking vegetables in the field and packing them in the factories all hours to try and get orders out. And they're doing this as well as trying to run their businesses. Growers have already put a huge amount of effort into recruiting domestically over the past five years um, and wages have increased significantly. But businesses have continued to struggle to get the staff needed. So what does this mean for the product at the moment then? Is it just rotting in the ground? So it's caused major crop losses. Um, We've had tens of thousands of vegetables that haven't left the field and they've been ploughed in in cases all over Lincolnshire. And that is solely due to the lack of labour. We've already had long-term consequences. of um, We've got businesses that have had to take the decision to reduce production indefinitely or cease trading altogether. We've already lost growers in our Lincolnshire area and many will be reducing the amount they grow next year by at least 25%. Currently over 30% of UK field veg and 40% of cut flowers are grown in Lincolnshire, so it'd be criminal to see this replaced with imported produce that's grown to much lower standards. Yeah, and does there seem to be any change or help on the horizon? So the NFU, alongside several other supply chain organisations, are asking the government for an emergency 12-month COVID recovery visa. 
So that visa would en enable the supply chain to recruit critical roles now, whilst at the same time working to grow long-term stability by supporting training and skills development to try and grow domestic recruitment. We also need the government to commit to a permanent seasonal worker scheme for UK horticulture that includes the non-edible horticulture, so the ornamental sector. We also need an urgent review by the Migration Advisory Committee on the impact of ending free movement on the food and farming sector in the same way it's doing for adult social care. So have you got any other messages for the growers at this moment in time? So um, as stress levels in the industry are peaking, um, I do want to make everyone aware that anyone involved in the farming and horticultural sector can call LRSN's helpline, which is 0800 138 1710. And they've got trained helpline operators that are available and listen, and they can signpost callers for, for further help and advice. Many thanks for joining me, Joe. Sean Sparling is here today with the Agronomy Report. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning to you, Ellie. Another lovely week of weather then. Not much drilling, rolling or spraying done in the past seven days. The rain varied from about 18 mil up to 48 mil last Sunday morning across the county. I took just over 19 mil in that four-hour spell from about seven o'clock on Sunday morning till midday. Almost double that, just 10 miles away. So it's wet, it's too wet to drill, it's been too windy to spray, it's certainly been too wet to spray or even to think about travelling to spray. So a bit of a nothing week really on that score. So let's start with the oilseed rape. The recent warm, wet conditions mean that oilseed rape has grown like bilio this autumn. Knee-high crops are normal rather than exceptions this autumn. And a fair bit of nutrient deficiency showing up out in the field. Manganese, magnesium, nitrogen showing up as the canopy starts to outgrow the supply of available nutrient. Best to correct any of those deficiencies now while the crop is still growing. And remember, manganese deficiency um, tends to favour sandy land, light soils, high pH soil. Magnesium tends to favour acid soils, high potash levels. Magnesium tends to show up in the older leaves, manganese in the younger leaves. But speak to your advisor to get that bit right oh, both of those nutrient deficiencies incidentally are worse in cold wet periods like we are in now um, the next step for blackgrass control is going to be propizomide or the curb type product and now propizomide is residual and root uptake so um, if you include something like fuselade max or falcon um, in with the curb that will enhance the control of bromes and volunteer cereals particularly if they're coming up from depth because the the curb the propizomide just sits there in the top one or two inches or so and is very unlikely to do an awful lot of good on deep germinators whether they be volunteers blackgrass or otherwise but remember only put in falcon or fuselade max if you haven't yet put a fop on you can't put two fops on in the season every year we go over about when the right conditions are for putting propizomide on so here it is again your soil temperatures need to be lower than 10 degrees celsius and falling at 30 centimeters less than 8 degrees celsius and falling at 15 centimetres you also need wet soil a soil moisture deficit of less than 50 millimetres and that needs to be falling as well you can go onto the Corteva website and click the link for the curb weather data and that will tell you the current situation in your area based on your postcode but I think looking at the soil temperatures of above 13 at 15 centimetres at the moment we're still a few weeks away yet from the curb timing warm soils mean that if you put it on in warm soils the propizomide just breaks down faster so not over not only do you lose efficacy and longevity you don't get your money's worth so you know you need to apply it in cold wet conditions sometime before the end of january but not too wet speak to your advisor there's plenty of time yet don't waste it 
Um, AstroCurb, by the way, if you're using AstroCurb, you can't take AstroCurb treated straw off the field unless it's for burning um, because of the aminopyrrolid residue. There's been a slight increase in FOMA levels in oilseed rape in the last 10 days or so, but I still haven't seen anything like threshold. Um, and in crops up to my knees, I'm quite relaxed, actually. Um, the smaller crops are the ones I'm concentrating on, where the FOMA moves more quickly from the leaf to the stem, and they need to be prioritised. Prothiconazole is a good all-rounder as a fungicide in oilseed rape if you've got foamer present if you've got light leaf spot present it'll do those but again as yet very little light leaf spot found putting leaves into a polythene bag and then into the airing cupboard for 48 hours will encourage any latent disease hidden within those leaves to sporulate as yet i've done that several times and i've i've yet to see a positive result um, there's also, of course, the Bayer Spot Check Initiative. Well, they'll do all that work for you. But as the conditions cool down and the weather cools down, light leaf spot moves much more slowly. And considering you only protect uninfected leaves from becoming infected for about three weeks in peak and good growing conditions with something like prothiconazole, you have to question the logic of if it's not going to get any worse because the weather's going to hold on to it, do you need to put a fungicide on? So speak to your advisor about that. Defenoconazole, very good on foamer. It's no good on light leaf spot. Tebuconazole is good on light leaf spot. Prothiconazole is good on light leaf spot and uh, foamer. So just choose your weapon wisely if you need to, but don't just choose a weapon for the sake of having a fight. Cabbage stem flea beetle larvae showing up now as well in some fields that seem to be quite good looking crops as well. So that might be another good reason for just delaying the propizomide because once you've applied the curb, that residual herbicide, you're committed to that crop and you're going to need some serious and fairly expensive cultivations before you go drilling a replacement crop should you need to do so as a result of that cabbage stem flea beetle. Wheat and barley they're shifting too. early drill barley's up to five tillers on some of mine early drill wheats two and three tillers quite commonly dead hearts showing up as well in some of these wheat fields particularly after oats and that'll be frit fly although opomizer is also apparent out there as well um, if you pull the dead heart out you get a brown corkscrew mark at the base of a dead heart from opomizer but there's not an awful lot you can do once you see those dead hearts so plan for early nitrogen and rolling in the spring in order to help these crops tiller out Hopefully you only have the worst blackgrass land and ex-sugar beet fields still to go drilling in. And the blackgrass is still germinating, but the peak emergence period has now pretty much passed. Although it does now seem to keep coming blackgrass all the way through the winter. So all I'm going to say is if you can drill it, make sure the weather forecast is going to let you go and spray it. Because preems work far better on blackgrass at stopping that blackgrass thriving than they ever work if you put them on at peri or early post-emergent timings. Aphid numbers in cereals are falling as well, we're noticing. I could take you into any one of my fields and find you a spider or two within 30 seconds. It's taking me an awful lot longer than that in terms of hours to find winged aphids now. So discuss that again with your advisor. But perhaps those little spiders are doing the job for you. You know, when you get up at dawn and you see fields white over with the gossamer silk threads, then you can pretty much assume that the spiders are outnumbering the aphids 50 to 1, I reckon. So if that virus is already in the crop and you can't find winged aphids, an insecticide's not going to do an awful lot of good anyway. It'll probably do more harm than good. So just have that conversation. And also, of course, if you are spraying post-em mixes, which were intended to be applied as pre-ems because the weather's got the boss of you over the last 10 days or so, just check that the rates of those herbicides are still safe. Prosulfacar, for example, you can put 5 litres 
are that on pre-em, but you can only go up to three litres post-em. And also, be very careful, we're now moving into the frosty period, so around those first frosts on emerged crops, you need to leave 24 hours clear of them on those uh, emerged crops, if that's their first frost before you go spraying, to allow the wax to rebuild. So if you get a first frost on an emerged crop, uh, on the Sunday night and there's no frost on the Monday night you could go spraying on Tuesday if you get the first frost on the Sunday and you get another frost on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday you need to have no frost on the Thursday to go spraying on the Friday once you've got through that first frost then as long as you stop spraying by about half past three in the afternoon either side of one you should be okay I think that'll do let's see what the next seven days bring thanks Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services Coming up, we find out what the young farmers have planned for the coming months. Jerome will be here with a grain report and I'll have the five-day forecast. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. I'm Ellie Codling with The Farming Programme today and it was National Young Farmers Week last week. I caught up with Charlotte Garbutt, Chair of Lincolnshire Young Farmers, and asked how did it go? It went brilliant, Ellie. Yeah, it was great just to see all our members back uh, meeting in their, their club meetings and really celebrating what it means to be a young farmer. So we had some clubs did videos, some did posts of you know photos and things like that. So it was really nice, quite a nice touching week, really. Yeah, plenty going on then. In Lincolnshire, we did a new members month and then we finished it with the National Young Farmers Week to, to finish that month. All other clubs are now meeting every week and they've got a, a range of different meetings. Some are in their village halls and, and other venues and then some of them again on different tours and trips to, to you know different places across the county. So, yeah, it's been it's been really good. Great. And what have you got planned for the coming months then as a county? And if you know of any clubs individually, what they've got planned yeah, so we've had a few tractor runs and plough matches and things. So our clubs have been already having events, which has been fantastic. And there's more to come from our clubs as well. So they've got different events in the pipeline. As a county, we've been organising our county ball, which is our annual dinner dance, which takes place next Saturday. So really excited about that. We sold somewhere nearly 550 tickets, which is amazing. So lots of people looking forward to putting on their dresses and things and and uh, sparkling for the night so yeah really exciting we've got other events planned for later on in the year we've also got our Christmas competitions we had our pumpkin carving last week so a competition all our members carved different pumpkins and then we've got a Christmas card competition Christmas cake decorating we've got all sorts sounds great and the county ball I guess that's going to be a really big night seeing as you haven't had it for well, you didn't have it last year, so there's some catching up to be done. And I guess as well, it's a good fundraiser for you, is it? It is, yeah. So the aim predominantly this year is obviously for everyone to have a good time and, and be able to go to the ball. Because, yeah, like you say, it's 2019. Yeah, November 2019, since we last met at the uh, Epic Centre and had the dinner dance. So, yeah, it'd be nice to actually get back together, have fun. And at the same time, yes, raise funds for the organisation because obviously we've had quite a hit in terms of membership and income so it'll be a great opportunity to put some funds back into into the county and are the clubs well supported again now that they're able to meet face to face again in club rooms uh, yes yeah, so it's taken a bit of time obviously people have been out of practice uh, for the last 18 months of, of meeting up every week and getting back into the swing of things but we've all 
made a great effort in being able to put on, um, you know, some of the clubs have put some fantastic programmes together to really entice members back. And I think a lot of people have really missed the opportunity to meet and, you know, how isolating rural areas can be. It's just great that our members can get back together and have a weekly thing that they can go to and enjoy. So the clubs are going strong and you'd say that Lincolnshire Young Farmers is in a good position right now. Yeah, fantastic. I couldn't have thought of it being in a better position post-COVID, you know, seeing such a hit in membership and not really knowing what the timeline would look like. I would say it's, I suppose, a great opportunity now for me, Ellie, to thank each and every member who has got involved and, you know, got us to this point. It's been it's been fantastic. Thanks, Charlotte. Now over to Jerome Fielder of Open Fields for the Grain Report. Good morning, Ellie. Plenty to report in grain markets this week, with markets making new contract highs, Saudi and Egypt back in the market, and all seed rate closing in on £600 a tonne ex-farm. But will it get there? Let's start by looking at the wheat market. Prices moved higher again this week, with futures markets in Europe and the US making new contract highs, before easing back on overbought signals and profit taking. Not much has changed fundamentally with major export stocks at record lows but it is a reminder that prices do not go up in a straight line and more likely the market has just paused for breath. There is little sign that demand has slowed with Saudi buying over 1.2 million tonnes which was twice what was expected and Egypt returned for the second time in a week. With only a third of the season gone and with consumers boasting little forward cover the outlook does not look overly negative. The need for an almost perfect growing season to replenish stocks is coming into sharp focus and will only be made more difficult with China and Russia, who export 40% of the world's fertiliser, imposing export restrictions. There are already concerns over dryness in the Black Sea and US plains, with much more rain needed in Canada to replenish soil moistures following their drought. Rain in Australia as harvest ramps up is not ideal, as the world can ill afford another reduction in milling wheat availability. Recent rains in Argentina and Brazil are welcome, but more will be needed with La Nina still forecast. Reports that the Chinese Ministry of Commerce had advised people to stock up on daily essentials in case of emergencies has prompted panic buying at the supermarkets and it does not suggest stocks are plenty. Next week's USDA report is not expected to contain too many surprises for wheat, but the trade forecast an increase in the US maize yield, which could be seen as negative, but could could be offset by increased exports and maize used to produce ethanol. Lower maize prices may be the cue for China to return to the market. Moving on to the barley markets, firstly malting barley. It's been a relatively quiet week, with both European and domestic buyers a little more subdued as we enter November, taking stock of where deliveries and stock levels are at pre-Christmas. UK domestic markets continue to follow export values higher, with European interests still in place for now. A number of homes have extended the MAGB moisture terms in recognition of the logistic challenges the UK is facing at present. Supply chains have been working together to try and mitigate issues, New crop markets have once again seen some discussion, but certainly there have still been drills working in the past week, suggesting there may not be such a swing to spring cropping as had been forecast given recent inputs price appreciation. Feed barley markets are being driven by export values too, although some compounders are trying to phase barley out of rations at these higher prices. Now for the all-seed rape market, continued support, particularly from the rape oil market, has kept values on their toes. 
Whilst crude oil has fallen from recent highs and bean oil is lower week on week, palm oil, however, has moved in the opposite direction. The tea futures having now switched to the February contract as November has dropped off the board has seen a €15 Euro gain over the week, with UK values seeing a similar £15 appreciation with currency and cash basis changes helping the calculation. There are two areas to monitor, energy markets and Chinese demand short term. Energy markets have been a key driver over the last couple of weeks with usage and production under scrutiny. As a note, OPEC are meeting on Thursday with no change expected from the planned production increase currently signalled. Chinese demand as part of the phase one trade deal is also being looked at with current exports, some 35% below expectations for this year. And with South American beans being harvested, could there be a demand switch? Possibly this could resolve itself with the Biden biofuels push, meaning greater US domestic demand. All will have to be watched carefully. There is a US crop production report due out next Tuesday, which will review current soybean yields estimates and therefore could impact on end stock numbers. The bean market remains relatively static and values holding ground with steady trade being conducted. Clearly, volumes being offered and matching current demand creating this balance at present. European free onboard buyers have stepped back for now, but there are a number of vessels still needing beans in the short term. Human consumption market is still sifting through samples, which is generating almost a three-tier value profile at present. Challenges remain with having the correct quality to complete the vessels in a timely manner. Now for your ex-farm values. Domestic demand focuses on the new year on wheat, so prices are basis Jan 22. Wheat prices for Jan 22 are £220 to £224 ex-farm, with May values at £224 to £228 ex-farm, and November 22 trading at £192 to £195 ex-farm. Group 1 premiums are currently trading at £40 to £42. Barley prices are trading at £205 to £208 for January 22 with a pound a month carry. All seed rape is trading at £580 for January and beans are trading at £242 for January. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks, Jerome. Let's take a look at the weather. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today it will be a windy but dry day with gusty winds from the west and sunny intervals, top temperature of 11 degrees Celsius, overnight lows of 3 degrees. Tomorrow the wind shouldn't be as strong, more of a gentle breeze and should remain dry with sunny spells, top temperature of 11 degrees, cloudy night with an overnight low of 6 degrees. Tuesday could be reasonably mild day for the time of year with top temperature 13 degrees. It will be a mix of cloud and sunshine but should remain dry, overnight lows of 7 degrees Celsius. And for midweek onwards, it should be dry with a mix of cloud and sunny intervals with light winds and temperatures remaining roughly the same as seen earlier in the week. That's it from me. It's been fun to be back. Steve will be here next week. Don't forget you can always listen to the show again through the Lynx FM app or just ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme. Have a good week. 